You are listening to A Scary State, a podcast where every week we talk about all things scary in your state, from killers to haunted locations, cryptids to urban legends, and everything scary in between. We're two friends who share a passion for haunted stories and true crime, and you never know what scary secrets your state holds. So Lauren, yes, Nora, let's get scary. Hi everyone, it's Lauren and Nora, and welcome to our Nebraska episode. Woohoo! Well, I'm gonna just start on. <laughs> I'm gonna dive right in. I hate that I always start episodes saying the same thing, but I don't know how else to do it. So we're just gonna jump right in and circle back. I'm talking like I'm at work. Okay, so Nebraska. <laughs> we'll circle back to this topic. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So Nebraska. Nebraska. <laughs> I'm so nervous for some reason. I know. We haven't done this in a while. I know. Okay. I got this. Nebraska, nicknamed the Cornhusker State, joined the Union on March 1st, 1867 and became the 37th state in the U.S. Nebraska got its name from the Indian word meaning flat water, which comes from the Platte River. Some interesting laws in Nebraska. If a child burps while at church, their parent can be arrested. Oh, jeez. You also aren't allowed to sneeze during a church service. Well, you and I both have horrible allergies. Oh, yeah. We'd be kicked out immediately. Definitely. (laughs) Unless the kettle of soup is being brewed in the back, it is illegal for a bar owner to sell beer. Huh. I feel like some mother starting the bar made that rule because she didn't want the guys (laughs) to get drunk too quickly or something. (laughs) I, I would see. I could see that. It sucks if you're a barber because between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., barbers are forbidden from eating onions. I actually agree with that law because if someone's cutting my hair and they smell like onions, I'm not happy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I can see that. (laughs) Something cool I found. In 1988, in the town of Bruno, the Austri family had a barn that they wanted to move as it was in the way of floodwaters. Hmm. Hmm. The total weight of this barn was just under five tons. Jeez. 344 volunteers stepped up to help move the barn, meaning that each of the volunteers only had to lift a little more than 55 pounds. Only. Only 55, huh? Yeah, because that seems like nothing. (laughs) Nebraska is the 11th happiest state. Oh, that's cool. I mean, I don't know that there's a lot going on there, so. I wonder wonder where Virginia is on that list. That's a good question. (laughs) During Halloween time, Nebraska has had a haunted car wash. Oh, that would be so That's fun. That's so cool. I love that. That would be so fun. But that should be a thing they keep doing because it's super social distance. Yeah. That would be really fun. And, you know, you're getting your car washed at the same time, mm-hmm. so it's the best, best of both worlds. Um, but Nebraska has the third highest rate in the country for incarcerating children. Oh. Well, when I tell my story, you might understand that. Oh. <laughs> In Nebraska, there have been two identified serial killers. Per the FBI's definition from Wikipedia, a serial killer is defined as a series of two or more murders committed as separate events, usually but not always, by one offender acting alone. Citing our sources. Oh, and speaking of citing our sources, we have all of our sources cited for every episode that we've done so far. We're just in the process of figuring out where to put that so that we have all of our sources listed. So once we have all of that compiled into one place, we'll share that. Um, we just, you know, want to give credit to the sources that we're getting our information from. Absolutely. And if you want it upon request, we shall give that to you. <laughs> yes, we shall. <laughs> all right. So today I decided to talk about haunted roads and haunted bridges. 
So I love stories about haunted roads. So I was like, this is going to be fun. Oh, yeah. All right. So the first road is probably one of the most popular ones. It's called Seven Sisters Road. It's also known as Road L. And it's located in Oteau County, which is southeast of Nebraska City. Um, This occurred in the 17th century where the rumor comes from. Mm -hmm. So a man lived at a farm near this road with his parents and his seven sisters. So rumor says that the family had a fight one night, which resulted in the son getting incredibly angry. He left the house and hid in the woods, knowing that his parents would soon be leaving the house for some reason. So once the parents left, he went back into the house and one by one forced his sisters out of the house with him to the hills, where he proceeded to hang each one from a tree on each of the hills. That escalated. Uh Uh-huh. So I could not find out what the argument was for, but something happened. So another kind of variation of this story is the same beginning with the same argument and everything. But in another story, the brother poisoned the sisters instead and then dragged them to the trees and hung them. Some stories say it was the father. Some say it was the brother. And then another one of the stories goes that one of the sisters was pregnant and he hung her and cut her stomach open. And I'll just kind of... Leave the rest to imagination. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, but no official reports have been found of any of these murders. And the road used to have seven hills for the seven sisters. But today there are only four hills that are still prominent. And each has a hang- each had a hanging tree on it. But each of those hanging trees have been cut down. Some of the hauntings that happen on this road are people have reported hearing screams coming from the hills all around, which is believed to be the sisters. So just imagine driving down a dark road, chilling, and then you hear screams. Oh, my gosh. I want to say I would stop. But being a woman and knowing true crime, I really don't think I'd be able to stop. Yeah. And I would, first of all, be like, okay, is that like a fox? Because fox, oh, foxes right. make really scary You're right. Sounds. They do make creepy noises. And then – I don't know what I would do. I, like, I probably I would either. freak out after that. I don't know what I would do either. Um, others have reported their headlights dimming and their cars stalling while on the road. Um, ringing bells have been heard. Sometimes the ringing of these bells lasts up to 30 minutes. Um, and another man, he reported a story. He had dinner at a diner close to the road and decided to drive down the road because he was being daring. Mm-hmm. And as he was approaching the song, This is the End by the Doors started to play on his radio. So he took that as a sign to not go down the road and he turned around and drove away. You know <laughs> so, what? I'm that exact way. I am too. Sometimes the universe gives you, gives you signs mm-hmm. and you need to listen. You gotta listen. Yeah. So the rest of the information about this road I got from the Omaha World Herald. So Cheryl Ann Fletcher is a Lincoln-based medium, and she said she went to this road, and while she was there, she saw bodies hanging from the trees with nooses around their necks and gunshot wounds in their chests. So I don't know where that story came from. She's quoted saying, There were seven bodies, males and females mixed. The one that captured my attention was a little boy who was blonde. He was about seven years old. So she said that she, I know, she said she felt a young boy's fingers wrap around her arm, The grip tightened and led her towards a gravestone, and the name on the gravestone said Matthew. Fletcher also felt something very demonic here, so she quickly left. And also, while visiting this spot at night, many people say that they have heard piercing, high-pitched screams, headlights dim, speedometers freeze, windows roll up and down on their own, cell service drops, the wind changes, and a shadowy figure darts in the darkness. Uh Uh-uh. And others have heard bells and have seen red eyes peering out of the shadows. Oh, no. So they believe these red eyes belong to a six-foot-tall monster, and he's usually seen around 11 p.m. for some reason. What? You didn't even wait till later? Very punctual. 11 p.m. is late. Well, in the I don't 
don't know. That seems early <laughs> for coming out, like, all monstery. Yeah, like the 3 a.m. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this monster is said to have the body of a bear and the face of a wolf, which is really creepy. In November of 1968, many people reported seeing this monster, so much so that a deputy responded to the calls about this monster every single night for a month. Wow. A group of teenagers also shared a story that while they were partying in the area, they saw red eyes glaring at them from the distance. This spooked them, so they raced back to their car and jumped in. Right as their car began to move, the monster grabbed hold of the bumper and, quote, stopped the car with such force that the back window shattered. Wow. Yeah. So they made it out, but, like, you would never want to party again. Yeah. Another boy reported um, that he was grabbed by the monster, scratched up, and thrown into a ditch. But I did not get any other information about that ditch throwing. So there's a local family, the Strums, and they own property right next... Oh, I think there's a thunderstorm, so I apologize if there's any loud thunder in the background. (laughs) Um, So a local family, the Strums, own property right next to this road. Nate and Becky Strum are used to the noises that come out of the forest, but one night while they were walking around the woods... I don't know why they were walking around at night. They heard a scream, quote, from point blank range, which like I would assume means right in front of them. Yeah. So they went running. Nate was quoted saying, it was curdling. It was not a bobcat. It was definitely a woman screaming. It was crazy. So the Strums had seen, have seen gravestones on their property for a John and Julia Warden. So John died in 1901 and Julia died in 1880. It's believed that these could be the family, like the Seven Sisters family, because genealogical records have shown that the Wardens had one son and seven (gasps) daughters. Oh my gosh. But there are no reports of any incidents ever occurring here. And each Warden daughter had a different date of death, which disproves the story, with one daughter even living to be almost 90. So... I mean, close, but not close yeah, enough. Yeah, and I feel like that's so uncommon to have exactly seven girls and uh-huh. one boy. Like, yeah. Variations, yes, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, <sighs> just too perfect to fit. Yeah. Um, so another tale comes from the late 1800s. At this time, Nebraska City had the highest number of lynchings, with five occurring between 1866 and 1887. I would not imagine that. Mm-mm. I wouldn't that's either. Crazy. So one of the men lynched during this time was Lee Schellenberger. He was sitting in jail awaiting trial for a murder. He had been accused of killing an 11, his 11-year-old daughter by slicing her throat. Well, a group of vigilantes decided to take justice into their own hands. They broke into the jail, overpowered the guard, and broke into Schellenberger's cell. They pulled him out of the cell and tied a rope around his neck. And, you know, what he did from there. Um, Schellenberger's last words were, quote, I'll haunt you sons of bitches if I can. So Natalie Strum, the daughter of the family who owns the property near the road, uh-huh. says those who haven't had a seven sister story need to visit because, quote, the second time is when it all starts. <gasps> mm-hmm. I don't think this will be added to our road list no, or our, our road trip. This, I'm good. This place is a little scary to me. I don't like yeah. creepy roads at night. I'm not taking PTO days to go do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to either. The second road I'm going to talk about is Smitty's Curve, which is located in Fillmore County, which is about two miles outside of Geneva. It's a very curvy road that also has two bridges on it. So the story goes that Smitty, a young man, had been driving down this road but was going too fast. He was driving his new car and wanted to see how fast he could go and how well the car handled. Oh, smart. Sorry, a typical boy thing. Yeah. (laughs) What my mom and I say when my brother does something stupid, we're like, that's why boys' insurance is higher than girls. (laughs) I mean, mean, you're not wrong. It's true. Yeah. 
So this was a new road to him, and he didn't know that around a curve there was a bridge. So he crashed right into the bridge and was thrown from his car into the water below. He was thankfully able to pull himself out of the water and pulled himself up the embankment and the hill, and he made it all the way to a barn that was on the road in search of help, but he died in that barn, which is unfortunate. (gasps) No, he was so close. I know. So some believe that it was either too cold that night and he froze, or that his injuries were just too severe and he succumbed to them. Yeah. Another legend that deals with this barn, too, though, is that some say there is a young boy who hanged himself in the barn, and now he is what haunts this road, looking for what he wasn't able to find in life. Not really sure what that means, but that's what a ton of different sources said, so I was like, I guess I'll include whatever that means. Um, So the hauntings on this road are that on winter nights, people have seen Smitty pulling his body up the hill next to the road. Oh my gosh, (laughs) imagine driving and seeing that. So these amazing individuals will stop their car and rush out to help him, and then he just simply vanishes. Yeah. So screams and moans are heard while people are driving on or near this bridge. His screams of agony and fear have been heard, as well as his screams for help. People who have visited the bridge have also reported engine troubles. So there's a little... I guess, kind of ritual that people do Mm -hmm. that is, quote, if you park on the second bridge, honk your horn three times, flash your lights twice, then get out of the car and close the doors, Smitty will lock them. He'll tamper with the engine if you turn the car off on the bridge. What I want to know is who figured out that you have to honk three times and flash your lights twice and then get out of your car to have him mess with you. Yeah. And also, why would you want him to mess with you? Yeah, just let him be. So pretty much the moral of this story and this road is to drive carefully, be slow, pay attention to the road. Mm-hmm. That's what it says at the end of everything that talks about <laughs> Smitty's Curve. So then I'm going to talk about a couple bridges. Ooh. So there's the Logan Creek Bridge. In the 1900s, Logan Creek, which is located in Pender, used to have a bridge over it that the trains would travel on. Well, in the early 1900s, another group of vigilantes held up the train. A man had been hired by a family, unknown why, but I think to be like a farmhand, Mm -hmm. Um, and it said that he murdered the whole family and was escaping on the train. So the group of vigilantes had been chasing the man and finally caught up to him when he was on the train. They dragged him off and hanged him from the bridge. I was looking to see, like, more information about this story, and I found one that has more of a backing, and it's the story of Higgins hanging. Higgins hanging? So a man named Higgins had been hired by a family to be the farmhand and help around the barn, um, and the farm was located between Bancraft and Walt Hill. So Higgins had tried to rape the family's daughter, and the mother and father caught him and went after him. As, as they should. As they would. <laughs> But Higgins ended up killing both of them. No. And threw them to the pigs. It supposed to end like that. Never supposed to end like that. So the same thing happened with the vigilantes holding up the train, but they held it up in Bancraft, not Pender. Pender is where the train was traveling to, mm-hmm. so that's why it's known as the Pender Bridge. Higgins was still hanged, and his body was also shot to ensure that he was, in fact, dead. So, I know. So the hauntings people have on this bridge are they'll catch a glimpse of the bridge in their peripheral vision. So that bridge is no longer there. Mm -hmm. So they'll just kind of catch it as like a black smudge. And when they look, obviously nothing's there. And some people have also reported seeing an apparition of a man hanging. But I'm not really sure where they would see this man because if the bridge isn't there, I don't... Where is he? Right? Yeah. So, I don't know. Doesn't quite add up. No, not really. So another one I'm going to talk about is the Heartbeat Bridge. This is located in Sarpy County in the town of Portal, which is actually now a ghost town. 
So ghost towns, I think I talk about this a little bit later too, but ghost towns can pretty much be any place that just doesn't have a big population anymore. So it doesn't have to be completely Mm. like, you know, empty. Yeah. So the schoolhouse where the story takes place was moved to Papillion? Papillion. Oh gosh, we just looked this up. (gasps) We did. We looked it up, I promise, and I can't remember how they said it anymore. Papillion, I think it was. Papillion. Because there's that I. All right, well, that was where it was moved to in 1995 and is now a field trip destination for students. The original bridge was also relocated. The school was aptly named Portal School because it was Hmm. in Portal, um, but is now known as the Hatchet House. Why is that? Well, in the early 1900s, this school was a one-room schoolhouse. um, And by all accounts, the school teacher who worked there was an incredibly kind woman, but one day she snapped. She took a hatchet locked the school's only exit, and then proceeded to murder every one of her 30 children. Oh, my gosh. Another version, and kind of one of the main versions I saw, was that she decapitated the students and put their heads on their desks, and then she cut out each student's heart. Super graphic. After realizing what she had done, she ran to the nearby bridge where she threw the students' hearts into the water below. Oh, my gosh. Another version says that she buried them under the bridge instead, but regardless, they got under the bridge somehow. So there are no historic records or reports of these murders occurring, but that doesn't stop the hauntings that are still being reported. So if you walk over the bridge, mostly at night, obviously, Mm -hmm. you will hear the beating of the students' hearts, which is how the bridge got its name. Others have reported actually seeing the teacher wandering around the bridge. It says that she mourns her students and has an overwhelming guilt for what she did. And because she has so much guilt, she's unable to move on. So Mm. she's just kind of... Stuck here for a Well, lady, that's why you don't do that. You quit your job and get a new job. I know, and you wonder what made her snap. I know. Like, that's just so sad. It is. So some say that if you come upon the schoolhouse, you can hear the teacher marching around inside, which (gasps) would be actually terrifying. That's so creepy. This weather is so fitting for these stories. (laughs) Um, And apparently, so the reason how the noises come is if you walk across the bridge, the boards shake and rattle, which causes a sound of hearts beating. Oh. But it's still pretty cool. Yeah. So the last I'm going to talk about is the bridge by Spring Ranch. So this is known as one of the most haunted bridges in Nebraska, and it's nicknamed Nebraska's Screaming Bridge. So the town of Spring Ranch, which is located in Clay County, was established in 1870 and never had more than 100 residents. It was an active town from 1870 to about 1940 and is now considered a ghost town. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you can still be considered a ghost town and have residents in it. And based on a 2006 census, Spring Ranch had about 165 residents. Wow. You can have a few residents and be considered a ghost town if your main form of income has disappeared. So like mining towns and stuff can become ghost towns with people still living there. So a widower by the name of Elizabeth Taylor, she was about 30 to 40, and her brother Tom Jones, who was about 34 owned a lot of land in this town in the 19 or in the 1880s. Mm-hmm. So Elizabeth and her brother Tom did not get along well with many of the other residents because they owned so much land. Mm-hmm. So because of how much they owned, they would constantly get into land disputes with other farmers and other people. So the two felt very unsafe because of all of these arguments and it ended up buying a shotgun and they were the only ones with a shotgun in the town. <laughs> They ended up buying a shotgun because they felt unsafe, and they were the only ones with a shotgun in town. Everyone else owned rifles. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. So in 1885, one of these land disputes reached a high. It was believed that Elizabeth's cattle had been getting out and eating a neighbor's crops. So Elizabeth and Tom were then accused of barn burning and murder. 
So it is believed that they did burn down a neighbor's barn, but I could not find any reason why they did it. It just said they burned a barn down. Wow. Which doesn't bode well for them. Yeah. And it's believed that a trespasser, Edwin Roberts, had made his way onto Elizabeth's property and she shot and killed him. So that's the murder part. And they know she did it because she had a shotgun. So a shotgun blast is very different from a rifle. So at the time, there was a court of public opinion that you would go to before your your case made it to a real court. Which is kind of weird to me. Yeah. Is that like a popularity thing? Like they... It's just like, you know, you're waiting trial for a real court. So people are like, well, we're just going to take this into our own hands. So surprise, surprise, they were found guilty. (laughs) At 1 p.m. on March 15th, 1885, a mob of people ranging anywhere from 15 to 75 people. But one source I read said 200 people. So not really sure how big this mob (laughs) is. Showed up at Elizabeth and Tom's farm. With pitchforks. I feel like that's like a small town. <laughs> it has to be. I know. <laughs> um, so they were hiding in their house with a couple other of their family members, and they had blocked and barricaded the door of the house. So the mob showed up and were trying to force Elizabeth and Tom to come out of the house, but obviously they refused. Mm-hmm. So I think by making threats, they were able to get Tom and Elizabeth out. So Tom and Elizabeth climbed out of the window of the house as the front door was barricaded. Mm-hmm. Their arms were then immediately tied, and they were led by the mob down to the bridge, which runs over Little Blue River. The whole time, Tom and Elizabeth are proclaiming their innocence, saying, you know, it wasn't them, they're innocent, yada, mm-hmm. yada, yada. So at 3 p.m., the two were hung on the bridge. Oh. The bodies remained there until the following morning when they were discovered at 8 a.m. by a woman who had been crossing the bridge. They were finally taken down at 3 p.m. by the Clay County Coroner, J.S. Liller. So how were they hanged, you may ask? This is kind of sad. So they had nooses over like on their necks and then they went over the beam under the bridge Mm -hmm. and one of the stories says that the end was tied to a horse (gasps) and a shotgun was fired which caused the horses to run resulting in them being pulled up and you know but the petty act that i read about is they say that the shotgun used was elizabeth's when the townspeople Uh, had stolen it from her earlier so it's kind of a shitty thing yeah and it's like she's going to court don't take it into your own hands you Uh don't even know for a fact if she did it yeah That's so... And another source says they were just simply pushed off the bridge, which is also horrible. So Tom died immediately, but Elizabeth suffered a slow death due to strangulation. So the site of this hanging was actually the site of the only known lynching of a female in the entire state of Nebraska. Wow. Which is really crazy. Mm -hmm. So Tom and Elizabeth were buried in the Spring Ranch Cemetery along with their parents, which is still there today. And I didn't go into much about the cemetery because we might cover it at a later day, but it is also said to be one of the most haunted cemeteries in the state. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. So people who have crossed this bridge have heard Tom and Elizabeth screaming and begging for their lives. Oh, my goodness. So those are some of the creepy roads and bridges and scary places that you can go to in Nebraska. And yeah, so I'm just going to say that's going to be clicked off of our list for our road trip because I want to go there. I agree. We have other things on our list, though, that we've been building up. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Are you ready for my story? I am. All right. Well, today I'm taking you over to Lincoln, Nebraska. Okay. Um, So Charles Starkweather. Speaking of weather, it's stark weather outside. Stark weather outside. (laughs) I know. That's my dad joke. Um, he was born on November 24th, 1938 in I'm sorry, Lincoln. Please include one in every single episode. <laughs> I will. I promise. Um, he was born November 24th, 1938 in Lincoln, Nebraska. 
He was the third of seven children, which is kind of crazy. Oh, your story had eight children, so never mind. I was going to say it's the same, but it's not. Yeah, um, kind of. Seven, yeah. eight. Yeah. He was the third of seven children, and his parents were Guy and Helen Starkweather. Now, the Starkweathers were known for being a respectable family with well-balanced children. They had everything basic in life, like nothing fancy. They were just like a hardworking, like blue-collar family. Okay. They had a roof over their head. And, you know, they were just respected in the community. Mm-hmm. Charles's father, Guy, was a mild-mannered dude. He was a carpenter who frequently <laughs> who was frequently unemployed because he had rheumatoid arthritis in his hands. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the 1930s, there probably weren't, like, employment laws or disability leave or anything yeah. for people. So you were kind of just out of luck if you had health or, like, physical Ill- issues like mm-hmm. Guy did. So during the periods that Guy was out of work – Charles's mom um, would supplement the family income by working as a waitress. This reminded me, and people might get like a little offended, but <laughs> it reminds me of a meme I saw, and it was like this 10-year-old boy is working at a lemonade stand in the 1940s, and it said, the olden day go fund me. Like saying like <laughs> back in the day, people would just like work like crazy when finances got tough, and oh, now, God. which I mean... It's true, but also those people didn't live as long because they were yeah. working so hard yes. and, like, not getting the help they needed. And so. there were no child labor laws or anything. Exactly. So you're getting exposed to these horrible things that you mm-hmm. shouldn't when you're young. Yeah, exactly. So starting from a young age, Charles had some pretty diverse health issues. Charles was born with genu varum, a mild birth defect that caused his legs to be misshapen. Oh. I know. That sounds incredibly painful. Mm-hmm. Genu varum happens when the bones in people's legs aren't formed correctly. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you picture a baby walking and their legs are bending out, you know, oh, kind of, yeah. like, the bow-legged. Yeah. That's how it looks, except for a baby's legs develop, and oh. the people with this condition, their legs don't. So, yeah, pretty sad to have. And, like, the, I guess not cool thing, but kind of the awesome thing is that we don't really have a lot of those cases anymore, just because we do have, you know better labor laws and better medicine, which is really cool. Exactly. Like now I think it could be like leg braces or a surgery mm-hmm. to fix it. But at the time, like it was just something you had to deal with. Oh. Um, on top of that, Charles had a speech impediment, which led him to constantly being teased by his classmates. Aww. I know. He was also considered a slow learner and it's actually said he didn't apply himself in school like at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in his teens, it was discovered that he suffered from severe myopia, which is nearsightedness. Oh. So he couldn't see anything far away. Oh. Yeah. So that really affected his vision for most of his life. It's really sad because he clearly could have been helped, but he wasn't tested for anything. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm I, like reading this, I'm like, maybe he couldn't vocalize that he couldn't see the chalkboard because he had a speech impediment. So he probably like didn't oh. want to talk a lot. He didn't speak up, and so he didn't tell anyone that he couldn't see. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, like, no matter where this story about Charles goes, it seems that he was super misunderstood as a young kid, um, and his disabilities were not addressed like they could have been. But Charles did have something that he excelled at in school, almost everyone's favorite class, gym. (laughs) Charles found a physical outlet for his rage and frustration that was built up as his classmates bullied him. So instead of maybe, you know, using his physical abilities to join a sport, Mm -hmm. he actually started bullying the kids who used to bully him. Good. Because that's always the way to do it. I know. Mm -hmm. I was like, Lauren, (laughs) I thought you were serious. (laughs) 
But more than that, he started treating anyone he disliked poorly. Oh. Soon, Charles went from like a well-behaved, just kind of unremarkable kid to being one of the meanest kids in the whole community. Dang. One of his high school friends, Bob Von Bush, later recalled in an interview that, quote, Charles could be the kindest person you've ever seen. He'd do anything for you if he liked you. But he was hell of a he was hell of a lot of fun to he was he was a hell of a lot of fun to be around too. Everything was just one big joke to him. But he had this other side. He could be mean as hell, cruel. If he saw some poor guy on the street who was bigger than he was, or better looking, or better dressed, he tried to take the poor bastard down to his size. Oh my quote. gosh! I know. So he could have used his newfound popularity to, like, influence others to be kind since he knew firsthand how it felt to be treated horribly, but instead he slowly became a monster himself. Mm-hmm. There's a movie called Rebel Without a Cause. Have oh, you- I've heard of that. Yeah. I don't think I've seen it. But I, I haven't have heard seen of it. it. Yeah, but um, it came out when Charles was 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and he became obsessed with James Dean's character in the movie. So what's James- the movie about? Well, it's about – so. It- it's like James Dean is the main character and he's like this handsome guy with slicked back light brown hair both in real life and in the movie and he played this rebel who moved to a small town and made some enemies in the process Mm. so Charles felt like he related to James Dean's rebellious fictional persona in the movie and he felt that in James Dean James Dean's character he literally found like a kindred spirit oh no someone who had gone through similar life experiences and he admired James Dean it's almost like he couldn't like separate reality from the movie that's scary charles also developed a severe inferiority complex mm-hmm. and became self-loathing and devoid of morals believing he was unable to do anything correctly and that his own inherent failures would cause him to live in misery oh geez yeah he was basically his own worst enemy for a while he That's was that whole self-fulfilling prophecy i was thinking about psychology so much like learning about his childhood and he was also super defensive about himself so actually this description of him like being super defensive, all that. Mm-hmm. It totally reminds me. Um, have you ever seen Team Mom? I haven't really watched it, but I like know what it's about. Okay, so they're one of the moms. Her name is Farah Abraham, mm-hmm. and literally, she is just like that. The part about being like totally defensive and miserable and obsessed with themselves, like that's exactly like her. Threatened by people, a narcissist. I feel like the way that they described him is very similar to her. Yeah. So anyways, in 1956, when Charles was 18 years old, he was introduced to a 13-year-old named Carol Ann Fugati through mutual friends. Oh. Yep. You heard it. 13. Oh. When, oh, I don't like that. Yeah. They hit it off right away, which I don't oh. know what you have in common with a 13-year-old when you're 18. And they also, that's not consent, so you're not really hitting it off. Exactly. At this point, Charles had dropped out of high school during his senior year and started working at Western Union Newspaper Warehouse, and he chose to work here because it was located near the junior high that Carol attended. Oh, oh, that's so, so gross. creepy. <sighs> oh, I don't like that at all. I hate that so much. Oh, I do too. Totally inappropriate. He would visit her every day after school. I mean, if that were like an adult your age, that'd be really sweet. But, like, because it's a 13-year-old, that's just really creepy. I don't, like, I feel like 
someone picking a job though because it's near me mm-hmm. like that's still that's crossing a line but at not as bad this is just like someone locked this man up like and you know that she probably feels really cool because she's 13 she has this older guy but also yeah. she's not at that age of consent yet so she doesn't see how dangerous and how just red flaggy this mm-hmm. is i know and i mean it goes into a little a little more but um I think she had like a broken family, like Aww. not not like horribly. Like I I didn't really get too much into it, but she does have like a step parent mm-hmm. and like half half sister and things like that. Mm-hmm. So maybe she was like looking for that like older secure guy because yeah. it didn't really mention her birth dad. Oh, Either way, maybe. I think maybe he was filling a void, which is just really wrong for him to take advantage mm-hmm. of. But at work. Charles was considered a poor worker, and the newspaper he worked for later stated, quote, this is the best quote ever, sometimes you'd have to tell him something to do two or three times. Of all the employees in the warehouse, he was the dumbest man we had. (laughs) Which, like, rude, but... (laughs) Oh, man. I know. (laughs) Charles, he probably was a horrible worker, considering he didn't apply himself in school, and he, like, totally had a horrible attitude. Mm -hmm. But still, like, that's rude. Yeah. (laughs) Charles taught Carol how to drive, and then one day she crashed his 1949 (gasps) Ford into another car. Oh, no. Yeah. Was anyone hurt? No one was hurt. Oh, good. um, Except for Charles's dad's bank account, because he paid for the damages since he was the legal owner of the vehicle, like Charles's (sighs) dad, which is so sad because he had six other kids to look look after. Money Mm -hmm. was tight because of his arthritis and, like, the inconsistent income. Plus, Charles was 18 and had a job. He should have paid for the damages himself, which, like, was really annoying. Yeah. And then I thought, well, Carol could help pay, but then I remembered she's 13. Yeah. (sighs) Either way, Charles's dad had to pay for the car, and that caused a huge altercation between Charles and his father. I mean, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, But Charles was banished from the household, so now he's just kind of, like, floating around in the world, like, shunned from his family at this point. See, that's also really sad, and, like morbid podcast the one that you and i both really like they say Uh it all the time you can feel bad for the kid but not the adult yeah and this makes me feel like that like he does really bad things but he had a really bad childhood but i know he's gonna have a really bad adulthood because we're talking about him yeah well technically i mean he's his crimes happen when he's this age so it's like He's a little, I feel like he's a little too old to be acting this cray-cray. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I totally agree. I think that's especially the case for Carol. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles began believing that his current situation was the final determinant in how he would live the rest of his life. And he also had what psychologists call a nihilistic view of his life. Which means that he believes his li- that life is meaningless. Nothing in the world has real existence. Basically, the most negative outlook on life, life you could have. Yeah. Given his views mixed with him not being happy with his livelihood, he began using the garbage route to plot bank robberies, and he would just do, like, really weird things like that. Oh, jeez. Yeah. See, and the thing is, like, that's such a smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like some people, they should use their smarts for, like, good and not exactly. evil. <laughs> Yeah, it's like he had, like, that level of thought mm-hmm. and planning, and it's like you could be mapping out roads in, like, 
low developed countries instead yeah, of just something to use that like because that's a specific type of smart so to be able to use that in a productive way exactly but- um he openly had a philosophy a philosophy that quote dead people are all on the same level what does that mean so i like thought really deeply about this which i probably shouldn't think deeply about anything he says but <laughs> i think it means that like no matter how rich or good looking or successful you are when you're alive you'll oh. eventually when you're dead you'll all be like all wind up in the yeah, same place which again like really morbid yeah then on november 30th 1957 when charles is now 19 years old he went to a service station in Lincoln where he tried to purchase a stuffed toy dog for Carol on credit. Yep, oh. a toy for Carol because she's literally a child. Yeah. I they have a, okay, so they have a 5-year age gap, which is like the age gap between me and my boyfriend Ian. So not a big deal when but you're the ages. Exactly. Like yeah. at this time, it's really wrong, mm-hmm. not when you're like adults. Yeah. And totally illegal. Yeah. So anyways, Charles is in the gas station trying to purchase this toy on credit for Carol, and Robert Culvert, the 21-year-old station attendant, refuses to accept credit, so Charles left the gas station enraged. By the way, purchasing on credit during this time isn't like using a credit card. It's like oh. <laughs> it's like you give the thing to someone, and then they promise to pay you back. Oh, that sounds like it really worked out a lot of the time. I know. So, of course, like a lot of places would have very strict policies on this. Mm -hmm. And it didn't happen often because you're just going on someone's word, like crediting them something. Oh, man. So, obviously, they're not going to give this teenage boy a stuffed animal that they'll probably never see him again. Later that night at 3 a.m., Charles returned to the gas station with a 12-gauge shotgun. Mm. Both of our stories have shotguns. Yeah. At first, Charles left the weapon in his car, entered the station, and bought cigarettes from the station attendant, Robert. Then Charles left, drove down the road, turned around, returned to the gas station again, left the shotgun in the car again, but this time he bought a pack of chewing gum. Is he putting all this on credit? You know, apparently he had the money for all this stuff because he's buying it, so he should have just saved and then gotten the one dollar he needed (sighs) you know make any sense i know so then he left and drove away instead of driving home and calling it a night he instead parked a short distance from the store wearing a red bandana underneath a hat and walked into the station with his shotgun and a canvas bag Mm. he held robert at gunpoint and stole a hundred dollars from the cash register before forcing robert to walk with him back to his car Charles drove Robert to a remote area outside of the town they were in of Lincoln and forced Robert out of the car, at which point Robert struggled with Charles and attempted to get a hold of the shotgun. Mm. Yeah. The gun fired in the scuffle, shooting Robert in his kneecaps. Oh. Which is kind of ironic that Robert got shot in the kneecaps because Charles, his legs were deformed and it was most noticeable in the kneecaps. Interesting. So I wonder if Charles was aiming for Robert's legs Mm -hmm. or, you know, because he was jealous deep down and then on top of that, like, not letting Charles buy the toy on credit. It's like yeah. he wanted, like, revenge or something. Dang. Um, but after shooting Robert in the legs, Charles then killed Robert with a shotgun <gasps> blast to the head. Oh. I know. And I feel like back then anyways, like, shots to the leg, like, you know. the <clears throat> wouldn't medi- be able to walk. And just the medicine then, too. Like, you know, you're just going to get an infection pretty quickly and there's probably, you know, yeah. kind of not in good shape so sad it is 
Charles later said that in the aftermath of Robert's murder, he believed he had transcended his former self to reach a new place of existence in which he was above and outside of the law. Ew. So clearly he's like so full of himself and completely out of his mind. Delusional. Yeah. I know. Oh, that's not a good sign. (laughs) I know. Charles told Carol about Robert's murder right away, but he told her that someone else actually did it. So 14-year-old Carol actually didn't believe him, which was shocking to me because clearly he was, like, grooming her. Yeah. Um, And so I'm, like, surprised she was able to, like, grasp that that wasn't Mm -hmm. reality. Yeah. So unfortunately, that was not the end of Charles's evil actions. Because it was, you know, of course not. Exactly. The following month, on January 21st, 1958, Charles visited Carol at her home in Lincoln. She wasn't home, and Charles argued with Carol's mother and stepfather, Velda and Marion Bartlett, who told him to stay away from their daughter, rightfully so. Yeah, I don't blame them. I know. Little did they know, they were telling a sociopath narcissist with deep insecurities what to do. Oh. Charles, I know. Charles then fatally shot both of the Bartlett's with his shotgun and proceeded to strangle and fatally stab their two-year-old daughter, Betty Jean. Oh, my God. Like, she's two. She probably can hardly talk. The chances of her being able to communicate to the police are, like, none. Very, very, very slim. Like, why would you do that? Just Why couldn't you just leave her there? Just leave all of them. I know, all of them. Oh, my God. So after Carol got home that night, Charles told her what he did, and they hid the bodies <gasps> in various locations she behind helped? the house. Yeah. Oh. The couple was actually in the house for six <gasps> days before they moved the bodies outside. Oh my god! And like, can you imagine the smell? I wrote that. That was my <laughs> next line. I literally wrote that. I was like, oh. not to get gruesome, but could you imagine the smell? Oh my god! I know. And, like, it was winter, so maybe the smell wasn't awful. But, like, if you have any sort of heat in the house. I know. So and she must have just been completely brainwashed by him if she helped him do this? I think either brainwashed or he was, like, threatening her, or like, scared. you have to help me. Oh, yeah. Oh. So, I mean, it's super risky for them also to just leave those bodies. Yeah. I don't know what was going on in those six days. I think maybe he was, like, trying to put fear in her or something. Um, but he had her write a note on the door of the home that said it that said, "Stay away, everybody is sick with the flu, except away ha- is like a way, and mm-hmm. then everybody is like everybody, and then flu is spelled wrong, so it's like great education there. Good, good. Um, and then she signed it Velda, like her mom's name. Oh, police arrived six days after the murder took place, but Charles and Carol had already fled. So Charles and Carol are now on a full-on murdering spree. They drove into a wealthier section of Lincoln where they entered the home of industrialist C. Lauer and Clara Ward. Both Clara and her maid Lillian Fensel were fatally stabbed. Charles later admitted to throwing a knife at Clara. However, he later accused Carol of inflicting the murder, the multiple stab wounds that were later found on Clara's body. So trying to like throw it on her. They're like a Nebraska Bonnie and Clyde. That's exactly what I was seeing online. Except, really? <laughs> yeah. Except, Where were yeah. Bonnie and Clyde from? I don't know. And you know, I should know because I watched a documentary on them. Oh my God. I watched one too. But really? Like five years ago. I just, I don't remember. I mean, they did go like a bunch of different places. Okay. But so like we don't have like two Nebraska Bonnie and Clydes. No. Okay. No. <laughs> and I think their names really were like 
Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm like, wait. <laughs> um, I just took my inhaler and like, yeah, I'm like feeling good. <laughs> <laughs> Can we cut that out? <laughs> Am I? <laughs> okay. I think Charles did one, if not both of those murders, but mm-hmm. maybe that's just me. Um, yeah. The- or yeah. he cut. Co- pressured her to do it yeah i mean he definitely could have but he definitely was there and like probably telling Mm -hmm. her what to do exactly what to do and when the husband lauer returned home that evening charles was waiting there for him and when he entered the home charles shot and killed him too my gosh yeah so charles and carol then stole lauer's black 1956 Packard with stolen jewelry. I've never heard of that car. I haven't either. Um, but they filled it with stolen jewelry from the house and fled Nebraska. The entire story didn't happen in, in Nebraska, but most of it did. And they were born and raised in Nebraska, so that's why I'm still like telling this story. <laughs> so don't come at me. The murders, the murders obviously caused an uproar within that region of Nebraska, and all of the local law enforcement agencies in the region conducted a house by house search for the killers. The governor of Nebraska even contacted the Nebraska National Guard, and the Lincoln chief of police called for a block-by-block search. Dang. Yeah. The two were frequently sighted, and the sightings were reported to police, but the Lincoln Police Department could not get there in time. Like, they would, like, rush to the scene, and they would be gone. Jeez. The Lincoln Police... That's so frustrating. I know. The Lincoln Police Department faced a ton of backlash for not getting there, like, more quickly, Yeah. But, I mean, they were on the move, so they didn't have very much time. By the time someone called 911, the police responded. Like, Mm -hmm. not much time there. And if they've got – they've probably gotten good at doing what they're doing, too. So they're just in and out. Exactly. Um, But since the police knew that the car Charles and Carol were driving was stolen – um, they knew that they couldn't risk driving around in it because it would bring too much attention because, mm-hmm. like, it was on the news and stuff mm-hmm. like that to look out for this car. Good point. So they needed a new car, and they happened to find a traveling salesman named Mer- Merle Collision. What a name. What a name. <laughs> Collision. <laughs> Sleeping in his Buick along the highway outside of Douglas, Wyoming. Oh, never safe. Never. Oh my gosh. Once. Okay. I don't know if this was a dream or not. So once Joe and I, we were driving up to Massachusetts Mm -hmm. to go visit his family. And we always like to leave like really, really late at night. And so we are in Connecticut and we're at a stop, like a road stop or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were like exhausted. Like neither of us could drive. So I remember we fell asleep in the car, like Mm -hmm. at the rest stop and whatever. And we were just going to sleep for like an hour. And This is the part I don't know if it was a dream or not. I remember waking up and I saw all these people staring in the car looking at us. And then I fell back asleep. And now I can't remember if that was a dream or if it actually happened. Oh, my gosh. And it's, like, super creepy. I really hope it was a dream. So I remember, like, I fell back asleep and then I woke up again and nothing was there. But (sighs) I woke up, Joe. I was like, we're going. Like, we're not sleeping here anymore. And we were only there for, like... 10 15 minutes like not long at all like just trying to fall asleep yeah. but then after that i was like Mm-mm, this woke me up i'm good did you tell joe like oh yeah. you remember uh i don't remember if he i'll have to ask him huh. but yeah i like i do not remember if it was like actually happened or oh, if it was just like a dream so crazy super creepy i have like that happened to me like where i don't know if i like a conversation i had is yes. real or if i'm dr- if i was dreaming uh-huh 
And, like, I always feel, like, embarrassed because I'm, like, I don't want to ask the person, <laughs> like, if I was dreaming or if we talked about it. But, yep. yeah, I know exactly that feeling. Yeah, it's the worst. It's the worst, Because it's yeah. right there and you're, like, I just can't – I can't differentiate if it happened yeah. or not. It's just crazy we how were, real dreams can feel. Yeah, we were sleep-deprived that whole trip, so oh, that could no. be why. <laughs> oh, he was sleeping in the Buick along the highway outside of Douglas, Wyoming. After waking up Merle, Char- Charles pointed the shotgun at him, and it was jammed. Oh. Yeah. But then Charles claims that Carol then tried shooting Merle, and this time the gun went off, hmm. which I don't That's know. Not, I, I don't know how guns work. And I just hate that he always puts it in Carol, mm-hmm. Carol's hands. It's like, really? Yeah. Um, but again, Charles conveniently, you know, makes Carol the one pulling the trigger. Mm-hmm. And little did they know, Merle's car had a push pedal emergency brake, which Charles had never seen before. That's I don't know that. if it was like new. Is that like a stick shift kind of thing? So like on some cars, like all the way on the left, yeah, like where the pedals are, but it's like all the way on the left, you push down on the emergency brake. Oh, oh, my mom's car has that. Yeah. So it was just one of those. So while attempting to drive away, the car stalled. Charles tried to restart the engine, and then a passing motorist stopped to help. Charles then threatened the motorist with the rifle. See, that's why you can never be a good person. (laughs) Like, I want to be a good person. I really do. But there's just too many people, like, just too many bad people in the world. I know. I totally agree. Especially, like, I feel like if you see a girl there, you feel a little more comfortable. Uh Uh-huh. But then it's like, look at this situation. She's being controlled by Charles Mm -hmm. and not safe. But a deputy sheriff happened to arrive on scene at that moment. Carol ran to him and was yelling something like, that's Charles Starkweather. He's going to kill me. So Charles tried to run from the police and drove over 100 miles per hour. But then a bullet from the police officer's gun shattered the window and flying glass cut Charles. (gasps) Oh. Yeah, not even, like, a bullet that hit him, but the flying glass from the windows of the car injured Charles so badly that he had to pull over. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he thought he was bleeding to death, and they arrested him, which is, like, so dramatic. Really dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) So, at first, Charles claimed Carol was captured by him and had nothing to do with the murders. However, he changed his story several times, finally testifying at her trial that she was a willing participant. Mm. Mm-hmm. Charles has always maintained he was holding her hostage by threatening to kill her family, well, claiming she was a- unaware that they were already dead. Which, like, huh. I don't know. These are getting two completely different stories. Exactly. Um, I mean, she had to have known that her parents weren't home if she wrote that note on the door. Did she write the note on the door, We though? don't know. Because if he dropped out of school and didn't try, maybe he couldn't uh-huh. spell. That's what I thought, too. Yeah. So who knows? I mean, I think she might have known that they were already dead because they were gone mm-hmm. for the six days, but yeah. it doesn't add up. And then up. there's that smell, too. Exactly, yeah. And the judge didn't believe she was held hostage either. Held hostage either. She had many opportunities to escape, but... I don't like that excuse. I know, I know. I don't like that. Because, like, yeah, She was maybe, so young. Yeah, and maybe there were, like, the quote, opportunities to escape. But if you're terrified of the person you're with, there are no opportunities to escape. Exactly. But Charles did receive the death penalty Mm. for just one murder. Oh. The murder of Robert Jensen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Charles was only accused of one murder, Robert Jensen. So Robert Jensen was someone who Charles murdered with a shotgun Robert and Carol King, which there's a lot of repeat names in this Mm -hmm. story, but two totally separate people, Robert and Carol, had stopped to give 
both Charles and Carol ride. And yeah, basically, I know. Oh, that's so sad. They ended up killing both of them. So, I mean, it's possible that, I don't know, it just doesn't make sense to me, like, why they killed them because they literally did nothing. They were helping them with a ride. Yeah. He was only charged for that one murder. That's weird. I know. Super weird. But I think they knew they were going to give him the death penalty, mm-hmm. so they were like, we'll just do the one trial so it c- we can put everything in the past. But it still sucks for all the victims of the other fam, like, the families of the other victims, because then you don't, like, yes, the person's behind bars, but it's not really justice for your family member. Yeah. Which, like, that's another thing that I'm all, like, you know, like, you yes, you want the person in jail, but you also want to get justice for your specific family member. So exactly. it's, it's, yeah, that's yeah, sad. It is really sad. Charles was killed in the electric chair in 1959 at the Nebraska State Penitentiary. So Carol, on the other hand, received a life sentence shortly after. And by the way, Carol got off on parole in 1976, so she spent just under 20 years in jail. Oh, how old was she when she was convicted? Um, Like 15. Oh, my God. And I feel so torn about this. I want to hear your thoughts because okay. part of me thinks that he was, like, clearly grooming her. Mm-hmm. She was so young, and there's no actual proof that she ever pulled the trigger. She mm-hmm. was, like, definitely an accomplice. But definitely I feel an like, accomplice. Yeah, and I feel like she was threatened. That's just, that's like the typical, well, not typical. I don't want to say typical. That's kind of like the whole like um, abused partner thing Mm -hmm. where it's like, yes, you had the times to leave, but you couldn't leave. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's one of those things where I feel like maybe she had those quote opportunities to leave, like I said earlier, but there's no way she, like, there's no way she could have left. Yeah. And I mean, yes, she was part of the stuff, but she was also probably terrified that's just a sticky situation. A hundred percent. And then part of me says like, okay, multiple people did die because of her. Mm -hmm. Like not because of her specifically, but she was there and she could have stopped it. But then it's like, could she? I know. That's why I'm so torn. But after Carol was released from jail, she settled in Lansing, Michigan, where she changed her name and worked as a janitor in a hospital. She never got married and refuses to speak about the murders. I don't blame her. I feel so bad. Like, she never got married, never had kids. Like, this literally wrecked her life because of this guy who, like, clearly groomed her. And then this part actually makes me kind of mad, too, is Charles was buried in the same cemetery as five of his other victims. No, I don't like that. That's, like, super disrespectful. I don't like that I don't like it either. Yeah, that's incredibly disrespectful. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't like that. His final resting place shouldn't be where he put people. 100%. Yeah. So not to have, like, a really sad ending, but, I mean, at least they caught him. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, don't try to be Bonnie and Clyde because you'll get caught. Jeez. I know. Well, that was crazy. Uh, yeah. It was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. Well, that was very well done. Thanks. Well, thanks, guys, for listening to another one of our episodes. We really, really appreciate it. It's really incredible seeing like you know people listening to it and giving us their feedback it means a lot to us if you want to give any other feedback you can email us at a scary state at gmail.com or i'm sorry a scary state podcast at gmail.com you can also follow us on instagram our instagram is a scary state podcast and we're currently still working on getting onto more platforms getting more social media so as we do all of that we'll let you guys know But hopefully by the time this episode airs, we will be on Apple Music. And if we are, please, please rate us on iTunes. Um, That will really help us get noticed and help people find us and help us get more listeners, which 
would be really nice. Yes. Um, so thanks, guys. And remember, stay scary. Stay safe.